Welcome to Business and Happiness Podcast. I'm your host, Bratzo Pobridge. This episode is sponsored by Life Success Academy, a place where you recreate your business and personal happiness. All right, welcome everyone to Business and Happiness. Uh, today, I have a really special guest, my dear friend, uh, author, uh, positive education specialist, uh, Molly Dahl. So Molly, welcome. Great to see you, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to see you too. It's been a while. It's been a while. I believe I still have a recording somewhere when we talked about uh, positive education at the uh, Positive Education Festival sometimes, what, five, six years ago? Yeah, you know what? I think that was their first one in 2016. Is that right? In Dallas, right? <clears throat> yeah, in Dallas. Yeah, so that's that's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. A lot of water awesome. under the bridge. <laughs> yes. So I think this is really going to be interesting because this is the first time that we are going to be talking about positive education. And actually, the, the really spin that I would like to take and discuss with you, because this is your specialty, is you know positive education resources and and focusing on adults, because usually we focus on kids, but, but I, I would like us to focus on adults. What do you think? How does that sound? I think that sounds great. I think the education world has shifted so much in the last couple of years. Um, everything just went up on its head, turned over, trying to figure out what does school look like when we're trying to teach kids when they're at home and we're at home and and so I think it's been a I think it's been a struggle for everybody involved in education. And when we look at the adults, it's not just the teachers, it's the administrators, the counselors, the parents. So all the adults involved in the life of a child's education. So yeah, there's been a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, you've been involved in this for many years. So you know, pre-pandemic, if you will, pandemic and Hopefully, by the time people listen to this, it will be post-pandemic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're almost there. I, I hope. So, uh, so tell me, what, so what's the difference? So, let's start from you know pre-pandemic, if you will, and look at our approach on positive education. Uh, you know, focusing on positive education in schools uh, with the parenting, and then then we can move on to you know pandemic time. So, yeah, that's a good format. Um, so pre-pandemic, I, I was in my own classroom for 15 years. Uh, I was teaching Spanish. And as I, I don't know, I think most teachers, we continually learn that whole idea of lifelong learner. If you're not a teacher and you don't know about lifelong learning, it's just the process of natural development, curiosity, and finding things that you're interested in and studying. And so we all have an aspect in our lives of lifelong learning. And then specifically as educators, it's something we're very much encouraged to do. You know, we have to stay up on new, new theories and new practices and new science of how students learn, what the classroom engagement strategies are that work best to keep students involved in their own learning. And so when positive education came on the scene, it was so supportive of the 
kind of the neuroscience, the adolescent development that was deepening into how students really learn, acquire knowledge, apply knowledge, appropriate knowledge to make it their own. And so those last couple years of me being in my own classroom, I was studying positive psychology, applying it all to myself, really got fascinated with positive education and how as we, as the adults, start cultivating our own practices of well-being and happiness based on research and practices of positive psychology, it shifts who we are as adults in the world. It alters our presence. And by presence, you know, we all have this presence, how we show up in the world, the attitudes that we bring, the characteristics of who we are, our values that show up in our demonstrated behavior. So all of this is impacted by positive psychology and then specifically positive education as we're studying that. But first and foremost, it's a practice of self. And in the education world, these are my two absolute favorite phrases about education. As a teacher, what we model is what we get. And so all of the practices that we weave into our own being show up in our presence. And so as I model positive psychology practices in action, then that's what my students see. And we know that kids learn best by example. So what we model is what we get. And then the other phrase that's right on the tails of that is we teach who we are. And so as we are positive education focused, become positive education specialists, I am now a completely different mindset. And so as I, my world changes, my inner world changes, my presence changes, I teach who I am and I am positive. I can take perspective. I can manage and self-regulate strong emotions. I can assimilate new knowledge and look at past experience and know that my past experience doesn't necessarily, necessarily have to define me. It certainly can. But as I am able to create a little more spaciousness around who I am and what my experience is, and then that whole package of Ms. Dahl as the teacher, and any teacher knows this experience, as that changes, my relationship with my students changes, my perspective on what it is to educate them and engage them in learning changes, and the whole dynamic classroom environment changes because it's now positive because the adult in the room is positive. And so I absolutely fell head over heels in love with positive education, positive psychology as, as the, the backdrop of that because it, it, it made educating so fun. It was so engaging. 
you know, the, the trials and the, the struggles of being educator didn't necessarily dissolve and disappear, right? Mm -hmm. That's not ever going to happen. We're never going to be challenge free. It, what it did is it made these challenges exciting and engaging and made me look at my own inner resources and say, okay, how can I, what skills and tools do I have to address that? And and so doing that for myself, then again, I was able to model that for my students. And it was so juicy. It was so much fun. They really became excited about what they were learning. And then it was just natural curiosity for them to ask, start asking the questions. Why is this classroom so different from others? Mm. Why can't, you know, why can't we understand that? Everything that we learn in one class is connected to another class. You do that for us, Ms. Dahl, but this is the only class I have that really, and so it was just as natural curiosity because what we model is what we get. And through, I guess, through the whole positive psychology and every other field that that branches into, curiosity and question asking is a key concept. And so it just spills out. And then our students become interested. And when students start asking me why, holy Moses, that's every teacher's dream, right? Yeah. To have students yeah. engaged enough to ask. Yeah. So that was, <clears throat> I left my own classroom in 2014, wrote a couple of books, and then was back in the classroom in 2018 as a a guest teacher in the entrepreneurship um, classes so, at our local high school. Local high school. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, one thing, you know, what you said about modeling, I mean, that is so, so, so true. And I didn't really think as much about educators and, you know, although I actually used to even teach in high school just for fun back in my country, like uh, once or twice a week for evening, just I enjoyed that. But I didn't see myself as an you know, educator. It was just a technical school. And I mean, I was educator, but that wasn't my full-time job. But, but what I'm thinking is modeling, you know, years ago by, uh, you know, my son, when he was little, we lived in Brooklyn and he kind of really grew up in Brooklyn. And I remember talking to his um, best friend parents who they were both psychologists. They had their own practice in Brooklyn. And, you know, I was just a techie guy. And I, you know, I was asking, I was worrying about what's going to happen. You know, hey, they live in a beautiful area in Brooklyn Park Slope. But look, you know, it's it's New York City. It's Brooklyn. <laughs> Not real city, but Brooklyn. So they said, look, just don't worry about anything. They're going to try and do all kinds of things that you're not going to like. But the bottom line is, in life, they will do what they see at home. And, and that's really so true. You know, I'm looking at my son now, got two kids, you know, room full of books, um, you know, successful, happy. I mean, really things that he saw at home is what he, uh, what, you know, that's how he lives today. And, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's interesting to hear that, you know, it's also from educators, it's really great how Kids can literally pick up, right? You don't need to tell them. Uh, question for you. I believe you and I started studying positive psychology years ago. Did we do it at the same time? We told Ben Shahar, right? Years ago? Yes. I, I'm pretty sure we were in the same course with yeah, the that was, 
Hugo Toss. Yeah, Mr. that was his like yeah. first class, Toss first class that he did outside of Harvard. Um, yeah. And uh, so you basically, and then you moved to positive education. And my, my question to you is, so you, you were in a school as a teacher, then you left, you wrote a couple of books and I should have bring, I actually have back in the other, my guest room, I have your books. You have them there, right? Um, oh, yeah. I do remember that it was like a work. Oh, a youth positive. That was the first yeah. one, was it? That's a yeah, great, that was great my book. First one. Yeah, it's a great, great book for for children. And so when you came back uh, to um, came back to school, what do you actually teach now? So what is your class when students tell you it's different? I'm just curious. Is it? Yeah, if you could just explain a little bit. Uh, yeah, I so that was in 2018. Oh, would it have been? I don't know, whichever year, 17, 18, or 18, 19. Anyway, uh, and then that ended when everything shut down in March 2020. So I haven't been in a classroom since. What I was doing at that time, I was, um, we have in Nevada, it's called careers and technical education program. And I think a lot of states have it. And it's, it's a way where kids can learn to apply their academic skills in certain fields that they might develop an mm -hmm. interest in and go in that direction for post high school. And so I was in the, um, the business and entrepreneur CTE track. And so I was only in once a week, kind of like you were with the tech ed in your home country. <laughs> and I, it was specifically the entrepreneur mindset, oh, nice. which was so incredibly fun because the, the teacher, the classroom teacher did all the technical stuff, all the vocabulary, all the business modeling, oh. all of the how you create a business legally. And so I didn't have to do any of um, that part, which for me was really great because my, my love and passion in entrepreneurship is of course teaching and then really supporting people in their ideas and their heart passion to bring that into to a tangible business. So with these kids in the entrepreneurship classes, it was the entrepreneur mindset Mm. And what that means and how you're going to take a lot of hits when you start your own business. And there's going to be a lot of opportunities for growth because you fail and you're going to fail. Yes. And so what does that mean and how, how do you manage? And so it was, it was, it was necessary to interweave the principles of positive psychology because we really have to look at what's working you know, as an entrepreneur, and especially a young one, you haven't had experience in life outside of school and business in school is very, very different. And so, you know, the appreciative inquiry, what's working? Why is it working? How can we use what is working to create the future that we want? And, you know, looking at models that already work. And so really challenging students to, yeah, take your idea, take your passion, but go do the legwork and find similar companies that are successful. What have they done to remain successful, to become successful, remain successful? And then how does that fit with you? You know, what you want, what you like, how you like to work, 
what your values are. We did a lot of work around values. So the mm -hmm. values in action with Ryan mm -hmm. Nemec's work. Mm -hmm. And it, it was it was very encouraging to me as the adult because these kids were passionate about creating a world where they had direct influence through the businesses that they would eventually create. Mm -hmm. And so it was a really great place to interweave all of that positive psychology. Right, right. So, so why do you think there's really not enough, you know, we call it positive education. Maybe we can just give folks definition. What do we mean by that? I'm not going to leave that to you. What do we mean by positive education and why there really isn't enough? Um, yeah. So, so what do you like when people, people hear positive education, how would you define that? You know, when you first asked that, I thought, oh my gosh, I don't really know. <laughs> because <laughs> <it's> <laughs> Which is really kind of funny. But, you know, I think what happens in life, and this is super interesting. I'm also teaching a course on my new book, which is over there in the corner, The Art of Emotional Resilience, which is positive education. And then it's married with the practices from different religious well, I don't even know if they're religious but more spiritually Spiritual. or contemplative mm -hmm. maybe contemplative is the better phrase looking at the modern science looking at the contemplative practices that work to create emotional balance and emotional resilience and so this book came out a year ago and I'm teaching the course on it and someone said hey we haven't actually defined the term resilience and I'm five weeks in, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, we have it. And so what I think happens, why I had this little, oh my gosh, I don't know, positive education. When we learn, here's the neat thing about learning. When we learn, we start off by concept and definition. And then we have to practice making that concept our own experience, making that definition real through experience by applying that knowledge. And so I haven't actually sat down to look at the definition, the characteristics, the qualities, you know, what defines positive education in about, well, since 2014, uh, 2011, well, 14, around there. So that's eight years. <laughs> and so my experience of that oh my gosh, I don't know the definition anymore is because the concept has become real. Yes, and it's not yes. Just a word or a phrase. And so what, I, what I'm going to do to define this is give you lived experience of what positive education is. And it is being able to understand that given the chance, most of us will do our best. Yes. So when we look at that in education, given the chance, most students given opportunity to explore their interests, their values, their goals and their passions will do their best. They will be engaged. They will own their learning. They will go forward out of their own natural curiosity and learn and really 
not just to regurgitate facts or multiple tests, A, B, C, D, they will learn what it means, whatever their chosen interest, right? Let's say, <clears throat> let's say it is entrepreneurship and a kid really wants to start a business. They have this idea, they're passionate about it. They really want it to be real in the world. One of my kids did a t-shirt company, like graphic design t-shirt company. And so I can't tell you how many different websites they would come every week and say, Ms. Dahl, I researched this, I researched this, I love the way that this is happening. From this website, I really like this, but the rest of it is terrible. And so these kids are engaged because given the chance, right? opening the boundaries of what traditional education has to look like, given the chance, these kids will do their best. They will be engaged. They will do their own research. They will put together a business plan. They will come and ask an adult for guidance. And when you can see that happening in a, in a student, that's positive education at its best. That is taking the concepts from a definition on a page at the very beginning stage of learning, bringing it into guided practice, what it means, what it looks like, how it feels, what your ideas about it are, you know, syncing it all in together and then having this student apply it and turn it into a real demonstrated version of what they know. You know, that's really great how you explain, because I think it's the same thing with adults, right? And, and, and you really explain this well. You start with the definition. So like when I teach positive psychology, I start with the definition. Actually, no, I don't. Sorry. The first question I do, the first thing I do is I ask them, what is their definition of happiness? Because that is it. Whatever your definition, I don't care what... Let's not name anybody. I don't care what they say happiness is. What is your definition? And that's that's the one that you're gonna live up to, just like your kids did, right? That's the, that's what they love. That's what they you know good at. You encourage them, and then they do more of it, and then they you know. So so that's that's really great. Yeah, starts with the definition that we read somewhere that somebody says, and then becomes something else for us, right? It's yeah. It's, supposed yeah. to be different we can't be one definition of anything right oh you know what i so appreciate that and that's really um a powerful way to uh engage learners and and i i really love that idea of what is your definition of it and it reminds me we would you know in entrepreneurship it's success right and whoa talk about a loaded <laughs> word. yeah yeah. And the expectations. And so we ended up, you know, we would have these class discussions and this, this one looked through all the time. What is success? And we finally did the same thing that you do with your students. You know, your definition of definition of success is going to be the one that you live up to. And so you have to know for yourself what that looks like and what that feels like. Right. And yes. so being able to really go into that deep personal exploration. What is success for me? You know, right. is it my, is it a bank account? Is it money? Is it the big house and the vacation home? And for most kids, it's not, you know, I mean, sure. Yeah. Right. We all need financial stability. Yes. 
but it's so exciting to have a classroom through full of 35 kids giving their own personal definition of success. And then we can see how important it is to bring that concept, whatever that word definition is, into a personally lived experience. Right. So I would love to take your courses on positive psychology just in the way oh, you start, right? I, I can learn so much from you. There's nothing to, you know. But, uh, but no, no, I think that's really important. You know, this morning I was writing something and I forgot exactly what I wrote, but it was something about, I don't know what makes you happy, but I do know that if you don't go after your dreams, you will be unhappy. I mean, so like, I don't know what makes people happy. Like, you know, research shows this, research shows that yes, you and I study all these, you know, hundreds of pages of research papers and we come up with something that makes sense for us and hopefully makes sense for other people, but we don't know that. We just don't. <laughs> we need to give them a chance to say, hey, if this makes sense for you, it may, it may or may not work for you. So it's the same thing I assume with the kids. It may or may not work for them, but we give them a chance to, to do their own. That's, that's, that's really, really cool. That's really cool. Uh, so now you, you, know, you, you mentioned, uh, I would like to spend a couple well, whatever, a couple of minutes of resilience. Uh, and uh, it's because, uh, look, we, we, we unfortunately still going through this. It's hopefully the end kind of coming to the end of the pandemic, but resilience was really, it still is like one of the top topics. And I actually happened to, I had a course on resilience that um, IBM purchased it and they had to like thousands of employees of different branches. I don't know because they got it from third party, you know, my, my course, but, but my point is that it is important, you know, it is so important for adults and certainly you found it to be so useful for, for children. So tell me a little bit about how, what do you do? How do we, how do we teach kids resilience or, or, or what do you do either in a classroom or something from the book that uh, adults can learn from you? It will help them with either as educators or as a parents. Yeah, thank you. Um, this book, The Art of Emotional Resilience, is written for the adults. Um, and it, when I <clears throat> when I sat down with the idea to write it, it was mostly for educators. And then I thought, you know what though, everybody needs resilience, especially now. And so it, although it was originally written for educators. It doesn't matter if you are an adult, <laughs> it, it, that you will find something applicable. And how do we teach resilience to our students, our kids, our children? Again, I, I, my, I think my default is to go back to what we model is what we get, especially if we have younger children at home. Yeah. That's, how, that's how young children learn is they, is they watch. Yes, And then they, they copy, right? And we have the mirror neurons and that whole um, beautiful understanding of neurobiology of how babies learn first from the mom through facial expression. And then they learn spoken language by watching the mouth form, and, right? So there's this whole beautiful synchrony that happens in person-to-person -person relationships. And for kids, it's essential when they're in the process of learning resilience, it's not a direct instruction thing, right? We know that for kids, you're not gonna sit down and say to a three-year-old, okay, here's resilient behavior. <laughs> right. 
right? You're going to model for that child, right? So say, for example, you're in the kitchen, you're baking something and you turn around to grab something and you catch the spoon handle in the bowl and the entire bowl goes on the floor and there's cookie batter all over the floor, whatever it is, cookie dough. And so if you're doing this activity with your children and you have an explosion because there is, you know, your last at least half hour's worth of work all over the floor, there's all those ingredients wasted, you know, and if you have a meltdown, that's what your kids are seeing as the, the way to manage an upset. But if you make it kind of fun, you get down there on your hands and knees and you say, come down here and help me. Gosh, what a mess mommy made, you know, and just make it like accidents happen. It's not yes. the end of the world, you know, hey, would you go get the dustpan, you know? And so kids are going to see that, oh my gosh, when we make a mistake, it's okay. It's okay, it's okay to make a mistake and we just have to clean it up. You know, it's unfortunate that we wasted, you know, three eggs and however many cups of flour, right? Yeah. And we can start over. We can start over. Let's throw this whole thing in the garbage and we can start over. And if a parent, an adult, even not even the, the parent, the caretaker, the adult, whoever it is. Whoever they spend time with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Whoever they spend time with simply models that. And it's, it's called co-learning or co-managing. Um, so I am speaking out loud my process. Oh, shoot. Darn it. I wish that wouldn't have happened. But here we are. We have a big mess. It's okay. So when the, the, that adult uses those words, that vocalization of thought process, that kid's gonna be able to say, oh, it's okay. You know, and then maybe tomorrow they drop their glass of milk on the way to the table. Same situation. Oh no, something fell, something dropped, something spilled. And that little memory is gonna say, yeah. uh-oh, but it's okay. So they're not gonna melt down. It's not going to be the end of the world. They're going to have a neural pathway that's already laid down with the support of a loving adult. And so when we have kind interactions from someone we love and it's safe, those neural pathways are very, very strong. And so when that little kid drops their glass of milk, uh-oh, but it's okay. And that's resilience. Yeah. And so we came up with our definition in class the other night of resilience being being nimble in the ever-changing events that happen in the eternal present tense. Nice. Which we thought, I don't know, we were all kind of wow. like, oh, that's good. <laughs> nice. And it's just that, that nimbleness of emotion and mentation, mental processing interwoven together. Oh my gosh, I've made a mistake. My heart is like, oh, oh no, oh no. You know, just, just a minute ago, I had that, oh, no, when you said, what's the definition of positive education? Oh, no. <laughs> and then our mind comes in and says, oh, but wait, right? And so in that, that ever-changing experience that happens in the eternal moment of now, how nimble am I? How nimble am I in my emotions? 
How nimble am I in my thought process around that emotion? Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting uh, as you were saying this, of course, I was listening, but uh, seriously, but I, what I was thinking, you know, we were talking about resilience and optimism, and, and I know how, you know, I actually picked that all up from my mom. She never taught me. She knew nothing about science behind, you know, there was no positive psychology. And if you think about it, that's another subject I always love to talk to my colleagues is, um, you know, a research. And look, you know, we, we, especially here in the West, we love the research. We, we need, you know, research behind everything, you know, behind smile, behind gratitude, behind, behind the things that our grandparents, you know, all told us years ago, right? When there was no research. And, um, and I think, you know, people, you know, people knew all these things before, right? There was really, there was really very little new, let's be honest. We, we, it's almost like, in my view, sometimes, we do research to prove that things that people are doing for thousands of years are actually right. <laughs> what do you, what's your thought? I mean, this is always a good subject to, and I know I have a lot of friends who are like, you know, oh, don't say that we need all, the, yeah, I'm not saying we don't need the research, but what I am saying is that a lot of my clients, uh, you know, if I have a coaching client, they don't care about research. They want me to help them to get from point A to point B. And, and I can use the research to help them. I'm not going to present them with the research. Tell me what's your thought about research versus, hey, these things have been, I had a discussion with Tal about this 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think you're right on. And I, you know, it's, it's so interesting how society has changed and become so dependent on research before they do anything, <clears throat> which, you know, maybe I grew up a lot like you, you know, my, my mom was, you know, my first best example, right? That's, you know, yeah. the primary caretaker. And nowadays it could be the dad, it could be an aunt, it could be yeah. whoever, you know, but it's the same, the same idea. Whoever we spend time with is going to teach us some things that have worked along the path. And so, you know, I, when I first started studying the positive psychology, I, being in education, everything has to be research-based. It's just, mm -hmm. it's kind of a shame. It's kind of a shame that everything has to be research-based because there's so much we know intrinsically. And oh, I'm going to get back to that in just a second. Oh, okay. Because there's great stuff coming. And so <clears throat> when we, you know, when my first steps into positive psychology, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can take this into the classroom because it's research-based. Yeah. Right. And so because it had the research base, I could bring it in and it wasn't, it wasn't teaching spirituality. It wasn't teaching church. Mm -hmm. It wasn't teaching religion. These are scientifically researched practices like gratitude, Dr. Barbara Fredrickson's work, love 2.0. I mean, stuff that, ah, <laughs> right. We know this. Our culture knows this. These are practices that are ancient yes. and they work because we're still here as humanity. Yes. <laughs> and so what I have been uh, really focused on lately. So finally, I have a friend who agrees with me. He's a colleague and we both agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's go anti-research. Yes, anti-research. <laughs> oh we God. teach research and we go anti-research. <laughs> yeah, right. So what I what I've been 
coming into lately and lately, I guess, probably the last four or five years, really paying attention to how we know things, not how we learn, mm -hmm. uh, not, no, not how we educate, but how we know things. Mm -hmm. And so what I have, I've kind of put together a list based on research. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and experiential learning, uh, my own practices of meditation and deep contemplation, uh, watching others, um, having conversations with them. not not interviews, but yeah. conversations about well, how how do we know things? And mm -hmm. so what I've come up with, and I actually um, I have a little list here because we did this the other night in my class, and the way that we know things is really quite fascinating. First and foremost, because we are physical beings in our world and we have a mind that incorporates input, we learn through our five senses, right? We have experience through our five senses. Visual, most of the learners, most, eh, yeah, I'm gonna use the education stuff. So most learners probably, I think it's from 78 to 85%, we learn visually, right? Yeah, yeah, I, right yeah, I remember that number. Yeah, 70 to 80, yeah, yeah. I remember the number, about 80. Somewhere around there. We learn visually, we, we watch, we take in visual input, and that's, you know, a primary way that we know things. And then we hear, right, it's, and I don't know what the percentage of, auditory learners when you really have to hear something to be able to process it and bring it in we learn through tactile you know i am a very tactile person. i gotta touch everything a lot of athletes are very very tactile in the way that they learn and experience the world mm -hmm. <clears throat> and tactile also includes using your whole physical body body as your learning mechanism so that kinesthetic learner and then mm -hmm. we we smell our way through life and we taste. And some people, for them, food is the end-all be-all because of the taste and the rich, mm -hmm. that, that experience of being fully alive in the eternal present tense, right? It's right now. It's that taste that's so overwhelming and so experiential. And so those are the ways that we typically and traditionally input process mentally and then have experience and that's how we know um this word mentation is our mental processing of experience and so that's that's it that's our ball of wax of how we learn and we know that that's not the end of it we know that there are so many different ways of knowing of knowing our experience, our knowing ourself, knowing our outer world. And so we have, um, first of all, let me see if I can find my little list because I want get to them, get them right. Um, oh, shoot. So we have, there are six of them. I know I have them right here somewhere, but let me see what my mind can come up with. Uh, oh, feeling, right? We have feelings mm -hmm. and we know, like a gut feeling. Right, yeah. we all know this. We walk into a room and we have this feeling. Um, I'm gonna come back later. Mm -hmm. You know, we see two people over there and they're having a discussion, but we get the feeling that that discussion is not friendly. There's some 
deep stuff that's happening, I'm not going to interrupt. And so I'll come back later. And we know that because of the feeling that we get. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily our visual input, right? We see two people, we know that there's some tension. We see that, but that's not why we know. So feeling intuition is is a very strong way that we know things. And, And I've been really focusing on intuition especially for for teenagers and a lot of my like uh i guess i'll say the support to be able to teach this and make it a real thing for kids comes from dr daniel siegel and he is probably the foremost on adolescent development adolescent brain development he's out of ucla and so he takes us through the three natural stages of adolescent brain development first is risk-taking behavior right? The brain is wired so that the dopamine circuits are super, super, super receptive. And so the risk-taking behavior to get that intense dopamine hit. uh, And so that's the first natural stage of teenage brain development. As that cycles through its, its normal cycle, and it'll be different lengths for every kid, we move into just thinking. And what he calls just thinking is big picture being able to understand cause and effect. Oh, if I say that, it might have an effect on somebody else. So moving beyond just myself, but into others. And then the third natural innate stage is intuition. Mm -hmm. It's part Mm -hmm. of the developing brain. Nobody ever talks about that. Nobody ever encourages. It's not part of pedagogy, which is the sciences of learning and, and teaching and educating. It is not included, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a real shame that the third, like the most progressive part of a teenage brain developing is their intuition. And nobody talks about that. We squish it. It's probably because, coming back to our discussion, because there's not enough research to prove, because it's really hard to prove that intuition. It's hard to worry. What's that gut feeling? How do you prove that? Where's the research behind gut feeling? Yeah, they're probably going to come up with something, right? But that's probably <laughs> risk, I think. I mean, I don't know. I think you're right. I think you're right. And it's and and why I feel like Dr. Daniel Siegel gives me license to teach this is because he's a researcher. He's right. a scientist. He does right. the studies. And so now, and it goes to that point exactly now, because there's science behind it, it's safe for me to teach it. Right. But we know, we just know, we get these, right? We get these little hits. We have been trained away from our own intuition, just thinking societally and culturally how education works, how we squash kids. Well, I just, you know, I kind of feel like it feels good, right? Well, and so being able to support everybody, adults, kids, support hey, you know things because you have intuition. It's intrinsically part of who you are. Embrace it, love it, start to listen to yourself. How do you start to listen to your intuition? How do you know that you have intuition? Tiny so, little things. I'm <laughs> share something interesting with you. So I, uh, I, I have a gentleman from Australia that's working with me now. He's a director. And so basically I do some recordings with him. And, you know, so we do this remotely and it's really amazing. So the other day, you know, we had something I was going to say, certain things. I was like, I just can't, 
I can't say it exactly that I have it written down. And he goes, no, 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 no. Just, just follow your intuition. Your subconscious mind will feed you words. I don't want you to say exactly what you wrote. Just start talking and your subconscious mind will start feeding you you know, the words. And that's, right? <laughs> that's really interesting. There's, there's not much that research so behind that. But that's... Yeah. And I love that. And I love how before we started our podcast, just in our little, you know, pre-recording that you shared with me, we don't have questions. We're just going to kind of let it flow and go. And that is exactly how we learn to trust our intuition. Yes. Don't read the script. Yes. Kind of let go. That stream of consciousness writing that we learned when we were in, in high school, that is a great way to tap into your intuition. You know, if yes. you have a question that you're grappling with, um, I don't know, should I take this new job, right? And you you want to do the right thing. You want to do the thing that's going to be best for the long run. And so you can easily do stream of consciousness, write that down on the top of your page. Mm -hmm. Should I take this new job? Kind of clear your, right, your list of your pros and your cons. Scoot that to the background. Take your pen. You know what's an even better practice is use your non-dominant hand. So if you're right-handed, use your left hand. It'll be chicken scratch. You might not even be able to read it. But there's a place in the brain that connects to deeper consciousness when you use your non-dominant hand. And it's a really fun practice. And you'll get some really interesting insights. And so that can be a way to cultivate your intuition. Another really easy way to start cultivating intuition, but also trusting it, because it can be hard, right? Yes. So do I just think that, or is that because I don't want to do that? Right. So, you know how that happens. So here's what we do. Oh my gosh, I'm cold. I need a sweater. Yes, I am cold. Oh my, I'm hungry. Whoa, listen to my belly rumble. Yes, I am hungry. Someone offers you a cup of coffee. No, I'm, I, don't, I don't want coffee right now. No, thank you. No, I didn't want coffee. Good job. So just those little things that we know, I'm cold. Start validating that to trust that you know what you know. And it's, it's so simple and it's so incredibly powerful to cultivate the self-confidence needed to follow your intuition because we can get like the knowing, that. right? But we don't always trust it. And here's another fascinating thing right on the tails of learning to trust. Yeah, I am cold in, and I learned this in the yoga world through my yogic studies and yogic teachings, the human body is incapable of lying to you. Yes. Your physical, biological yes body cannot lie no it and cannot. so if your body says oh my gosh i'm cold we can easily learn to trust that because oh yeah my body knows so that can be also a really great way to develop that cultivating of intuition your body will tell you everything and if you listen to it you'll do fine if you don't listen to it that's how you get stressed out that's how you get in trouble because you don't listen to your body, right? You don't take enough rest. You don't, you just simply, you know, we got to listen. That, that's my big thing. I, I really 
do my best and I try to listen to my body. When it says yeah. you're tired, you know, you're tired. Don't, don't fight it. It's okay. I'm that's, tired. Oh, that's yeah. right. And then it. giving yourself that, per- it's okay. Yes. It's okay. I'm tired. But take I a mean, break. So many- <laughs> you know, this is why I love, and I want us just to move to this the last subject. I love, you know, having your own business. Uh, it's just like amazing. So I can, you know, if like in an hour, so I have this recording today that we do from, I think, four to six. If I feel, now it's what, it's it's noon here in New York. If I feel a little tired after lunch, I'm going to take a nap for like an hour or so, right? You know, Wednesday, I take like half day, I'm going to see my grandkids. So it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, that's not, you know, body, but it's really like, you know, you're tired, you take a nap. And my big thing is, you know, I'm actually doing a lot with uh, with uh, with the uh, corp- corporate world. And uh, again, this is just, uh, you know, wishful thinking, but how nice would it be? And I think at some point we're gonna get there. If we let people do the work when they are you know, the best at it. So some people can you know, love to start five o'clock in the morning. Some people love to take a little nap. Some people will start in the evening. I know it's hard to coordinate, but seriously, when we are the most productive, so like I am, you know, I'm up early morning, 5 a.m., I do my exercise, do my meditation, I, I'm in my office. Right. And, uh, you know, how cool would it be if I am still and I don't want to have a full time job to say, hey, you can start six o'clock and whenever you want to take a nap, take a nap as long as we trust you and you know you will do your work. And as entrepreneurs, we can do that. So that moves me into uh, uh, the subject of, um, you know, this podcast I purposely called business and happiness and it's all about you know how do you and that's why you know i founded this academy called life success academy which is all about you know how do you achieve your full life success right so it's not about yep we all need to have a successful job and career that's all good but at the same time successful relationships have fun and so on so that now you know you have your own business And, uh, you know, teaching happiness and positive psychology is one thing, but now we need to live that while we have our own business and we still have to pay our bills and, right, all of this that we do, how do you, what is the balance, how do you manage your, running your business and still, you know, try to be happy and and have a happy and meaningful life uh, at home? That is such a... Uh, that is such a fun question. I'm actually working with a business mentor right now as I as I pivot my youth positive uh, and take it more online to access to have access to more kids so that we can support student mental health. And so in working with her, we talked about this very thing yesterday and how we create that balance of what where is my success, where is my happiness, and how do those interweave into the business because you know we have a business we are not the business yes right and so we we separate our 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 own identity from our business identity yet we know that it's all very intricately interwoven so we take a look then what i model is what i get and so the way i live my business culture is the way that my business culture will be. Yes. So if, you know, if I really like this model, like you, 
let's encourage people to work at their most productive times. If they don't know that yet, let's support them in exploring that so that I can trust that team member yes. to do their very best work for my organization. Because I know that when my team members have the freedom to do their best work, they will, because most people given the chance will do their best. And so being able to find for myself that, own, that balance in my own life, you know, I have to, is it daily? Almost my, my own meditative and contemplative practices. I really have to ground and center in myself so that I have spaciousness for others. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm upset or twisted about, up about something or cranky or tired or whatever, then I am not at my best to support my team and students and whoever else. And so my balance comes from my inner world. And so when I find trust in myself, when I listen to my intuitions, today, you're not going to have a lot of energy for all of those phone calls on your list. So which ones are the priorities? And then I take care of those. And then I send a quick email, you know, let's, let's try and catch up tomorrow, whatever it might be. Right. So I self-manage and I become my best self so that I'm better for others. If I, I don't, yeah, go ahead. No, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. If I don't, you know, it's, my mom used to say, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. we know that again, because the parent models and then that child mimics that behavior. And so we, we do that. That's a lifelong thing for, for us. We all model each other. And so when we have leadership models who demonstrate balance, taking perspective, emotional resilience, emotional intelligence, our team members are going to pick that up on some level because of our energetic resonance with each yeah. other as human beings. And then as the leader, we support them. We have our one-on-one -on -one conversations. We have our team meetings. We know our our values and expectations as an organization. And then we, we simply model. And when we melt down, <laughs> when we forget that this is what I wanna be, I take ownership of that. I have the courage to say, oh my gosh, I goofed. You know, it might not be okay right now. It will be eventually. Here's how I goofed and here's what I'm gonna do to remedy that and have those conversations with our teammates. And so I, th I think that being able to find this um, business and happiness, this business and success really depends on each person, especially each entrepreneur or business leader, knowing what that is for themselves and embodying it. Yes. Really striving to embody. Yes, yes, so true. And, and, it's, and it's also, you know, as you said, us modeling, I often, when I find my, this is really what I, 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 I pay attention to. And I often find myself that I don't do things that I teach. Like the other day, you know, <laughs> sorry, I was uh, uh, 
was talking a lot about focus, right? And I had this must, mastermind group, they, um, this was one of the subjects. And I found myself a few days later that I wasn't focused enough. But the good thing is I catch it and I say, look, you know, this is the thing. You teach this, but you're not doing it now. Now, is that, can that happen? Of course, we're human, right? But it's also fine to, when you teach it, to go ahead to your, you know, students or to your group and say, look, you know, I was teaching this the other day and I was telling you what you should be doing to be focused. And I, you know, the, you know, yesterday, I wasn't following my own advice. These things will happen to you too. But as long as you, you know, consciously try to do this every day, you know, whatever that is, to do the right thing. That's what I would call just do the right thing. It's all we need to do in life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then everything will be fine. But it's, it's really, it's a balancing, you know, if we're out there and teach people how to be happier, how to be more successful, how to have meaningful life, then we have to start. It's all about, I can't teach you. That's my thing, right? So I can do the research. I can gain the knowledge. But unless I practice this something, I don't teach it. And if I ever do, then I'll tell you that that doesn't work for me, but it works for a lot of people. You want to give it a shot. Like, uh, you know, certain things that just don't work for me. Uh, like I'm not, um, you know, group support. Like I'm not big on that, but we know that works for like so many people. But I'm not a group guy. I just, I mean, we all different, right? So, so, but if it doesn't work for me, like I said, I, I don't teach. I think that's really important. So it's it's knowledge, practice, attitude, uh, but it's also your, your own life. And you just feel more comfortable when you teach something that you know you live it. Isn't that oh, true? I so I so appreciate that perspective. And I, you know what what comes up in my mind is the the way that you teach and the way that you approach life right is taking in the information trying it on knowing what it is knowing the theory and the research but having tried it on to know that it really doesn't work for me and so your approach to doing that is so it's so useful and it's so beneficial and it's it's so exciting to me that there's someone out there in the world that's sharing this concept that that's what we need to do in the youth positive book. The subtitle is exploring the unique genius of every 21st century adolescent. We need to explore what works best for us. And we need to incorporate that into our lived experience to be able to say with validity, this works for a lot of people. Try it out. It doesn't work for me, but it might work for you. And in giving that freedom of choice, we engage others. Yes. And, and, I, and there's, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. We just know in the, in the positive psychology field, the research, the practices, the lived experience, choice creates success. And we've looked at those studies and when people feel that they don't have a choice, and I think this is a big thing, what's happening with kids right now in education, you have to learn this, you have to, you have to take these tests, you have to do the ACT and the SAT and whatever. And luckily that's changing now. Mm -hmm. But for so many years, we have put kids into a box and said, you have to do this. So there's no choice, which greatly lessens the engagement. Yes. But when you can say, here are some practices, try them on, 
find what fits best for you because we have choice, we engage. And so this is such a great business model to support our teams. And again, finding the most productive hours for you as a team member or whatever, goes right back to what you were saying on being able to really fit that into my lived experience. And what I so love about weaving all of this together, the positive psychology, the positive education, the contemplative practices, the positive educa- positive psychology and business, it's all this great, big, beautiful, interwoven thing that comes into lived experience. Yes. And we are each a compilation of our lived experience. We might have an event that one day, because I woke up tired, that event is catastrophic. But I might have a very similar event, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, but because I woke up not tired, I was feeling pretty happy about life. That same event was just a blip on the radar screen. And so our, I love this phrase, the quality of mind determines our experience. So if the quality of my mind on day one is exhausted, feeling dark, feeling pessimistic, that little experience is going to be dark and pessimistic and catastrophic because the quality of my mind determines my experience. Event number two, which was the same event, a couple of weeks later, I'm rested. My mind is bright. I feel hopeful. I feel a sense of love. I feel compassionate toward myself and others. That event is going to be light and bright and luminous and full of joy and full of love because the quality of my mind determines that experience. And so when we want to live happier, it's dependent on the quality of mind. So true. And, and you know, I, I will add that also to the quality of body. But before I say that, I wanted just to um, connect to something that you said earlier about your business coach. And I, I really highly recommend, you know, you have a business coach. I actually have a two coaches. I have a, a business coach, kind of personal business coach. And we have like coach and agencies that deal with the business. And I highly recommend really people to, if they can afford, or, you know, maybe there's a friend to, to find somebody because we, we, we need, we, we need, you know, there are things that I coach people and that I don't, you know, that I need a coach to help me with almost same things. Right. So, be, and so when it comes to body, I wanted to say, I have, um, uh, <laughs> I call I call him my personal trainer, but he's really not. This is like I'm using your Apple fitness program. And you have all these people that come online, right? And this person, I love this quote also. It's about body. It says, he says, your today's legs are not your yesterday's legs or your tomorrow's legs. Right? So it's kind of similar to mind, but to body. Same thing. It changes every day. So don't expect, don't push it today just because you did great tomorrow, yesterday. Don't, don't push it today to do even better. Maybe you can. But if not, then, you know, listen to your body. Coming back to listening to your body, listening to your mind. Yeah, listen, Molly, this has been such a, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for this, so much insights, for wonderful uh, 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 
experience, stories, all the knowledge, skills, everything that you that you pour into the audience. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you so much. It's so great to share with like-minded and like-hearted people. So thank you. Become the Life Success Academy founding member. Go to academyoflifesuccess.com and click on founding member to get 60% off full membership.